Hey, it's Josh. Quick note before this episode starts. This one and the next couple of episodes you're going to hear recorded at the very beginning of the coronavirus pandemic all the way back in like March and April. Um, and also this episode and next week's episode with Alec, there's a weird white noise that I am trying my best to cut out, but it's going to be present. I apologize for it. I recorded this one in my garage and you can really tell. Um, but yeah, that's it. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, share it with your friends if you like it. Hey, welcome to Little Guys. I'm Josh, and today I'm with Alec Hodgman. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? What's up, Josh? I'm Alec. I uh, I run the YouTube channel and radio show A Fistful of Vinyl. We uh, do, do you want more than that? No, I think that's great. Cool. Well, it, it's it's funny. I find myself like I I find myself explaining what a fistful of vinyl is so often to people outside of the scene that every once in a while I'm kind of caught off guard by somebody going like, oh yeah, I know what you do. Like, oh cool, like I have 45 seconds left in my elevator pitch if you'd like to hear the rest of it. <laughs> right. Well, do you enjoy explaining what you do? Or is it more of a chore at times? Oh, I, I absolutely enjoy it. I think it's... Uh, I'm trying to think of how philosophical to get on this. I... I enjoy almost every conversation that I have for the sake of it being an experience, no matter what. Um, that's not to say that some conversations aren't aren't arduous, or I, you know, don't want to listen to my distant uncle's political views or something like that. <laughs> um, but when it comes to stuff like a fistful of vinyl, uh, I kind of mentioned before the lack of precision in knowing exactly how to explain it to somebody uh, or what degree of of interest they have for me to like kind of correlate with how in-depth of an explanation they uh, that they get but i love the idea of every experience being of some value or of experience having an absolute value and it's something that i, I kind of talk about my in my interviews a lot too where with that perspective there's no such thing as a negative experience there can be like challenging experiences there can be tragic experiences but every experience offers um some movement away from zero in the sense of like the mathematical absolute value of things. So I really enjoy trying to figure out what kind of explanation somebody's looking for and just taking my best guess and seeing how it goes. And then if being on live radio has taught me anything, it's like I have to be amused at myself or my own foibles. So if I get it really, really wrong, then I kind of enjoy it from an audience perspective where it's just like, Oh man, this guy blew it. He's cringing so hard, forgetting totally that the guy I'm talking about is me. But it's uh, aside from that, it's something I really, really care about. It's it's the thing closest to my heart, as far as like what I spend my time doing. Uh, and I could go on and on about it. So it's it's something that I I really love talking about. And I really love explaining. And I really love seeing that kind of spark of understanding as I'm talking to somebody about it. Right. Did your passion for fistful of vinyl? I don't imagine it started out when you were working radio at two in the morning when you started. <laughs> That's hard to say. It's one of those things that grew kind of gradually that like, and I was thinking about this the other day too, where, you know, we put a, a lot more effort in now than we did even just a few years ago. Um, but it's not like we sat down, we're like, we need to step up. We need to do this twice as hard or something like that. It kind of is, it kind of emerged naturally from realizing that, we could have more fun with what we're doing. 
Uh, but you talked about the 2 a.m. thing, and that, <laughs> for those that don't know, uh, KXLU, you know, a live radio station over 60 years old at this point, has 24 hours of programming, or at least did when I was starting out as a DJ. And the the kind of gauntlet shift, the one that they give to newcomers to sort of weed out the weak ones, <laughs> is a weeknight from 2 to 6 a.m. And we did this during the school year. I was a student at Loyola Marymount at the time where uh, uh, KXLU is located. So we would do 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And then I'd have like a 9 a.m. psychology class or philosophy class or something where I just bring in the just most like out there ideas from sleep deprivation and um but i think to answer your question more directly i think i wouldn't have been able to do the 2 to 6 a.m thing without at least like degrees of passion i think the passion was towards something different at the time you know because we weren't creating content in the in the modern sense of the word or in the way that we do now but it was me, it was my buddy, John, um, you know, at times my cousin slash roommate slash producer, uh, who at the time was just my cousin, uh, he'd come on and we'd do, you know, these late night shifts together. And it was always just a time to kind of like hang out when the rest of the world was quiet. And I don't know, you can learn a lot about somebody and about yourself by just talking with them for four hours in the middle of the night, especially if you do it once a week. So I think that's where the passion started for me was just an interest in, in that sort of uh, uh, like earnesty, you know, earnestness, whatever, edit that. So I use the proper grammar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's something that interests me with, um, people who work on projects for more than like a six month period. It's like, at one point did you decide, does, do, does someone decide this is something I want to do full time for me? It was like, um, I had already released like probably a month's worth of stuff and I was like, oh, I want to, maybe I want to actually do this for like fun and build it into something instead of just doing it because I can't. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's different for everybody. Has, uh, has like the current lockdown restriction or suggestions or whatever you want to call them changed the way that you approach what you're doing or changed your level of passion with it? Yeah. So it's kind of become a life raft almost. I, um, I graduated college a month before the lockdown. So I left Full Sail. And I, Good uh, timing. Yeah, I came back to Georgia, and the plan was like, I was being, I was being, I don't know, I don't know if hunted's the right word, but people were coming to me with jobs, and I was like, oh, this is great. Nothing That's could an, go wrong. An amazing feeling. Yeah, uh, and I so, imagine. So I was like, I was like two months in my parents' house, and then I'm gone, and then all the job offers stopped, and now I'm here. Um, yeah. So I've doubled down into work. I've got a big backlog of episodes now. Like we're, what our conversation now won't come out until July. Oh, cool. Because of one, I like to record ahead of time. And two, just, I was able to get more people cause everyone's stuck at home. Sure. Um, that's good. It can correlate with my birthday. Nice. When's your birthday? July 14th. Listeners, if you're hearing this, <laughs> add a fistful of vinyl. Happy birthday, Alec. Right. Uh, drop a is dollar it? on his Patreon. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is the most worthy investment because literally anybody who puts a dollar in there gets to see every video we release early. Right. No $5 big deal. No big deal. Shirt. Yeah. There's not I a link below. I can't or not plug it. The, the, the feeling of shame for plugging something that I care about has long since diminished. I plug stuff all the time. I'll be yeah. out and like talking to a stranger and I'll be yeah. like, oh, you like music? I, I talked to this band six months ago. You should check out my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. You listen to the radio sometimes? Here's a sticker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it's it's been able to keep me busy. And, um, you know, when I'm done applying for jobs and not getting responses, it's like, all right, I'm going to go work 
on the show, whether it be like my presence on Reddit or breaking in through Twitter or stuff like that, or just recording interviews and editing them. It's helped me uh, stay sane. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, it gives you kind of a cause to work towards. And I think there's, and let me know if this resonates with you, but it's almost like a, a control thing. Yeah. Where I've, I've noticed that like in times of stress, and I've, I've noticed it most profoundly like following following loss, you know, um, having having lost somebody close to you and that feeling of sort of like chaos or like absolute disruption to your life in a lot of ways can be mitigated by like finding just something to take control of, you know. When my grandpa passed, it was editing a slideshow with and, and, and like recording uh, or finding recordings of like old music that he loved um, and putting kind of my energy into that. Um, similarly, like when my buddy Scott passed, it was uh, learning a song that he loved on guitar and performing it at his wake. In times like this, where we're all in lockdown, and hopefully by the time this is airing, everyone's feeling the relief of having lockdowns lifted. Um, you know, we're in a situation where we do not have very much control over what's going on at all. We're all taking our the, taking the best information we can find and hopefully applying it in the best way possible, and doing the thing that we feel is safest and most important for everybody. You know, upholding the social contract, and that is sort of like a passive activism in a way that just feels like you know your job is to wait so to find something that you can control that you can have influence on where you can actually see the outcome of what you're doing you know for you uh, um you know the little guys podcast and for me a fistful of vinyl it's yeah it's absolutely a stabilizing influence yeah it's also familiar work um i'm i'm I, i went to school for creative writing and I was like, this would be a good time to tackle like a big project, you know, like get my big, my master novel done or my screenplay done <laughs> and starting something and having to learn those rules, okay, not like the rules for that particular project again, you know, like what direction do I want to take it? What does that mean for me as I navigate this is different because you have to learn how to control that idea. But this, I know I've been doing this since not very long, since September of 2019 but that's plenty of time to become an expert yeah but yeah but i know what i'm doing for me i'm my only employee so it's not hard to be like okay this is how it's gonna work and there just, you go is yeah. your boss cool yeah i think so i think he's all right <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so it's um it's been nice i have uh your interview and i'm talking to rob taxpayer tomorrow night oh fantastic i love I'm rob su- i'm super excited um, are you gonna talk about anxiety cat i want to um, do it do it it's such an interesting project it's so freaking interesting it's different than anything he's ever done before and it's like a very deep project in such a way that i think it's like going to be kind of challenging for people to like listen to and, and understand the meeting at first uh, the meaning at first glance uh, but i've talked to him so much about it it's got this like wonderful depth and this wonderful sort of uh, uh philosophy behind it that he's applying it, that's going to be a great conversation you should be psyched about that i um i emailed him and I didn't think we'd have a conversation. We emailed the entire day, and I was like, "Oh, what a just genuinely good guy!" But uh, he really is. He really is. Did you did you see the interview uh, he and I did? Yes. Um, that was actually that was the day I emailed you. Was the day I watched that one. I watched it, and I was like, because I didn't know um, about the trusty snake, so I didn't know that Rob was still making music. I thought when the taxpayers stopped making music, that was it. Yeah. Uh, so that was, so I was like, oh, if he's still functioning, that's my only rule for for people to come on the show. Is like, are they still making stuff? Yeah, active in some way. Yeah. yeah, that that justified me being able to like throw an email across the world to Louisiana to see what would happen. No, so I'm very excited to <laughs> release that one. 
Yeah, no, you guys, you guys are gonna have a really good time. He's an excellent conversationalist. Our interview was, I think, the longest interview I've ever done, uh, and we literally talked until I ran out of cards for my camera. And yeah. And like, we went out to Candor's Deli and talked more and just hung out for like an entire weekend. He's such a freaking good dude. Yeah. Uh, he gives a favorite. What's up, Rob? This is Alec from the past calling you out in the future. How you doing? <laughs> um, the only thing I, ever, I, I, I feel bad though, because you know. When I prep for talking to you, I go back and I and I'll read old interviews that you've you've been on. I, I read your AMA. Like I'll I'll try to find you on the internet. To oh know wow! What you've talked about so that I know what not to talk about. Um, As in like covering new subjects only. Yeah, I try or, to. I try to. Yeah, like yeah. Um, whenever people talk to Mike Park, they always talk about his past with like Skank mm-hmm. and Pickle and stuff like that. Well, he still makes music. He's in three bands. Yeah, we should be talking about that. So that's what I did with him. I, I agree. I think context is really important, though. And you have to also appreciate the fact that, like, everything that you're releasing is reaching new ears, potentially. And, like, I don't know, if somebody's, if somebody's never heard of A Fistful of Vinyl, I would want them to understand the important things about it, even if it's stuff that's been talked about before. And then we can get into, like, the new stuff. But I, I totally appreciate what you're talking about. And that's one of my goals as well is when I'm interviewing somebody, I always try to ask them stuff they've never been asked before that they'd have to actually think about. You know, yeah, I don't um, want canned answers. That's what I ultimately try to avoid. Well, yeah, you can hear it when someone turns on autopilot too. Yeah, um, like um, if I if I were to be like, oh, what's the story from when you started Fistful of Vinyl? You you would click, and there's a monologue, whether or not it's like fully written or fleshed out. You would just you would hit the beats. Exactly, you're absolutely right. There's there's at least an outline of it. Yeah, and I have one too for, you know questions that I get asked just in conversation every day I'm like oh what are you doing after school like when I was in college I had like blocked answers mm-hmm. like these are oh, these yeah. are the questions that are coming out no without thinking about it um, but yeah with uh, with Rob everybody asks him about everybody asks him about his book and it's like hey man he still does stuff but um, yeah you gotta listen to next week's episode for that people exactly. in July yeah. Yeah. stay tuned subscribe uh, on on whatever platforms you're on yeah, you know, yeah iTunes give us a review five five stars more if you can leave I, comments share uh, when I first started the show a friend of mine got uh, flagged by iTunes he went on and was like Josh's podcast cured my skin and stuff like that and just put this like eight <laughs> paragraph review <laughs> Um, yeah, Josh's podcast cured the cancer that 5G towers gave me. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's a hole we can go down. Um, I don't know how it relates to art, but um, eh. 5G causing coronavirus? I love that very much. Oh my god. It's, <laughs> uh, there's part of me that wants to be really amused by it, and then that part of me is really undercut by like the people who are lighting the towers on fire right now you know like like i I feel like it's a thing that maybe we can laugh at later once everyone understands what is and isn't an appropriate reaction and as much as arson may be appropriate an appropriate reaction to some things uh uh changing the protocol of a cellular network is not one of those things in my book yeah i felt the same way about and this is a little less wacky i think it was in michigan the protests in the uh the shut the shut-in orders are you talking about where they like everyone came out with their rifles with and like guns? walked into, into the state capitol like armed to the teeth yeah um yeah terrifying first of all but second of all aren't those the people who were like we gotta back our boys like boys in blue are heroes so i don't i was I, confused <laughs> this may be a cynical perspective i mean i turned 30 last year and 
that makes me a, a full-fledged wisdom-filled adult, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a kid who's better at pretending at being an, uh, I'm an adult. But the the sort of cynical perspective that I'm I'm feeling is for like a massive majority of people, the thing that they do that resembles activism ultimately comes down to convenience, like what fits their agenda or what fits their, uh, you know, their feelings of entitlement. Similarly here in California, you know, we've had these protests in uh, Huntington Beach, which is kind of like, you know, the red dot in the middle of a blue state Um, about people who are saying that wearing a mask uh, impedes on their freedom. And yet Costco doesn't have a choice whether or not they let them in without a mask. It's like, so I'm, I'm sorry, remind me again if people should or shouldn't have agency over what they do with their bodies. And does that extend to abortions? Because I have a feeling you're going to sing a very different tune when that <laughs> subject comes up. I um I won't say where because it's a, it's a local place, but the owner was had been telling people that someone from the health department in Georgia came and they were like, if you don't have a fever scanner to check people, we're going to shut you down. And I was like, that didn't happen. There's no way that that story's not real. That's not yeah. a thing they can do. And and it's spreading through the county. It's spreading through. I'm in a very, I'm in a small county in Georgia. So it's spreading around. And um, I'm, I, I hear the story from my parents or I hear the, I'll see it online. I'm like, what are we doing, guys? Come on. The number of, the number of arguments that can be disarmed with like, okay, what was the source for that? Yeah. Like, if, like, so, because so much of what gets disseminated, especially via social media and then via just kind of like political discourse or political rhetoric among, uh, I guess just like common people um, is that, you know, we, we hear something, it fits our agenda. And so we, we repeat it and I'm guilty of this too. I'm doing, I do my best to like keep myself accountable for like, wait, where did I hear that? What was the, the source on that? Um, And I don't know, trying to create like your own litmus test for the reliability of news, I think is really important, especially now where, you know, I, I, I've tried to like, only get my news from a small handful of news agencies that are like have a long track record of being unbiased and informational. Uh, I disregard any news headline that you know tells me how to feel or some about something, or says that someone slammed somebody else. It's like, mm. like, because all these have uh, this sort of undercutting agenda of needing to be profitable, needing to get clicks, and the story everything's fine be cool doesn't get clicks yeah um and that's my problem with problem with websites like uh like huffington post or breitbart is it's like it's so like what's the ideal first and then what's the idea behind it Mm -hmm. and it uh it's frustrating one as a writer because i'll read it and i'm like you're not really giving me the information you said you're gonna give me but also as a human being it terrifies me because i know that i can look at an article from a website that that trenched in value and go oh there's nothing here to be learned this is an echo chamber yeah um, but not everyone does that uh, not a lot of people like you said have a litmus test like why do i agree with this exactly usually don't ask that exactly uh, well, we don't second guess when we're being pandered to you yeah know, if, like if it agrees with you then like our kind of natural response is to to not think about it again yeah i agree um it's terrifying but um you work in the you work in the public space on on the on you know free radio. Um, yeah, I are you to. are you ever afraid to dip into politics? That's an interesting question. I, I try to. That's a really interesting question. Um, 
first things first to, to use the word work, and this is something that I, I try to I try to speak to. Everything a fistful of vinyl based is volunteer. Uh, fistful of vinyl is not my job. None of us get paid. Uh, we have an ongoing joke that we're on revenue negative radio. <laughs> Want to start a hashtag? Um, everything that uh, everything that a fistful of vinyl gets via like Patreon or, or any other platforms uh, stays within the project um, and accumulates very slowly. And then maybe like once a year or something, we get to like get a new lens or we're saving up for like stabilizers right now. Um, we bought like a pretty kick-ass uh, uh, audio interface last year that would allow us to record um, record and present live audio simultaneously. Uh, we haven't done that yet because, again, not allowed outside. Um, but the infrastructure is growing. Um, but yeah, the, everything that is done for a fistful of vinyl is done on the premise that like you love what you're doing, you believe in the mission behind it, uh, and you volunteer your time, energy, money uh, to be a part of it. Uh, but to get back to your original question about kind of taking a political stance, a fistful of vinyl as a platform does not have, nor does it need a political stance. And I've got a couple addendums to that. Uh, one is stances that a fistful, a fistful of vinyl has that I believe shouldn't be political. Like we are absolutely inclusive. We consider ourselves egalitarian. We, uh, um, do our best to not tolerate, and I say do our best because YouTube comments are incredibly hard to keep on the pulse of, but to not tolerate anything uh, phobic or, or, or racist or, or bigoted in our comments. And we make sure that like the artists that we work with have uh, similar philosophies where the, you know they, they believe in a person is a person is a person and that's fine. Um, you know, regardless of what your gender expression or identity is or who you're attracted to or, or race or any of those things. In a perfect world, all of those things are irrelevant. Um, that being said, I'm, I have political opinions. Alec has political opinions. <laughs> and I do my best to, when I offer something that has a political leaning, uh, to present it with the caveat that, like, this is not necessarily what the other people involved in a fistful of vinyl believe. This is not what the platform itself stands for. Um, in so far as like a fiscal model maybe doesn't have a stance on uh, uh, universal uh, basic income or socialized healthcare, but Alec a hundred percent believes in those things, at least the healthcare one. And I'm, I'm like 80% there on universal basic income. I got to do some math first. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know for, do you ever feel um, like, let's say you're doing a conversation and like a, a political idea comes up and it's fine for you to give your opinions which you should um are you ever nervous about the uh repercussions of that like some some troll on youtube hears it and now you've got an eight paragraph essay in your comments about how you're wrong do you know andy kaufman the yes. comedian um he uh he's credited with the like the fuck you clown joke yeah. Wait, have we have we passed the threshold for you're good yeah, we, yeah we're yeah. 20 minutes in yeah. all right cool um <laughs> Which, and I blocked out two hours for this thing, so don't worry about us running out of time or anything. Okay. Um, oh, thank you, by the way. Yeah, for sure. I've, every conversation I've ever had, once it gets interesting, runs long. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm cool with it. This could be a two-parter. Just let me know where to do the breaks. So we can intro again. Right. Um, but the whole premise of his fuck you clown joke is that, like, 
Guy goes to the circus. Guy gets teased by a, a clown. He feels incredibly embarrassed and compromised by it. So he spends like years uh, crafting the perfect comeback and then going to the surface again, uh, circus again and then getting himself teased by that same clown again so that he can retort. And like, you know, the joke itself describes like, you know, going up into into the mountains and meeting with a guru who helps him get in touch with like his perfect comedic self and, and training and doing <laughs> like the joke goes on a long, long, long time. And then it ends with him getting back to the circus, the clown finally making fun of him again. And he stands up, clears his throat and confidently goes, fuck you, clown. (laughs) And the joke isn't that saying fuck you, clown is funny. The joke is that somebody listened to you for the entire time that you told that joke. The joke is on them. Um, And that's kind of how I feel when I see a long political rant, Uh, particularly one that I don't agree with in the uh, YouTube comments or in the Facebook comments. It was just like, Man, you spent all this time typing that up, and I'm not even gonna read it. I don't care. I'm gonna like <laughs> scan it, make sure you didn't say anything like uh, super objectionable. Aside from that, like you're allowed to have your opinion, and if I had that opinion, I'd be a little bit embarrassed. But you don't seem to be, so there you go. Yeah, um, there's a guy on YouTube named um, Eric Salvia. He does a show called Internet Common Etiquette. He'll go. I in. love that show. Okay, so you're familiar. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I, I love that he he has the best ongoing bits too. But I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Tell me, tell me more about your perspective on it. Oh, he talks. I don't remember what video it is, but he says if someone does a long post, a long comment, you read the first two lines and the last two lines, and you know everything they've said. And it pretty works. much, yeah, it works every time. But yeah, his, yeah it's basically a thesis statement for their essay. Yeah, and then um, especially when you read it, you're like, okay, you're saying the same thing over and over again are you going to cite your sources at the end of this or can we just agree that you're making it up but um yeah, the odds of it being well uh well formed discourse probably goes down with the length of the comment but yeah. dude internet comment etiquette is hilarious i love like the ongoing bits where like halfway through the episode he'll just log on to rainbow six uh, siege and yeah. like shoot his teammates and then log off or like tweet something hurtful at ted cruz or something like that it's just it's so freaking good when he cut his hair and but before he cut his hair, he did, like, two hours of predictions so that he could put them into later episodes. That was terrifying. Uh, well, because <laughs> he, he uses them so perfectly. I, yeah. don't, I don't know if he, like, materializes situations in which those become relevant again or if he just, like, you know, gets to a point where he goes, oh, I have something for that and has a conversation with himself from a year ago. Yeah, I don't know, but um, I definitely like to mute him. I, I go back and forth. I w- I'm probably going to email him because um, as a comedian... He's a interesting one to me. Yes, yeah. Uh, he understands his platform, I would say, perfectly. Yeah, uh, he reminds me of, like, and this is a weird step, but, um, like, the Project Filthy Frank years ago was a parody of that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Internet Common Etiquette is the same way. Because when I see him out of character on podcast, he's like, oh, I'm like, oh, you're a, I actually enjoy you being, like, in my presence, in, in, not in my presence, but, like, in my day right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, just yeah, just cool. as a human and not necessarily as a performer in that moment. Yeah, um, big Andy Kaufman vibes, except for he knows when to stop being the character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the joke isn't how long the joke is. Yeah, uh, he's not wrestling women. Um, yeah, but um, that's the thing I wrestle with. Am I allowed to, you know, share my opinions? Because right now, at 21 years old, most of the time the answer is I don't know. Like, well, how do mm-hmm. you feel about universal basic income? Dude, I don't have an answer. Sorry. I know I yeah. made a minimum wage and I didn't like it, but I can't tell you what to do. Um, I've talked I, about well, it a, a little bit. That's a perfectly valid response, by the way. It's like, yeah. I don't feel informed enough to speak on that. 
Yeah, but um, nobody. People are afraid to say that. That's an incredibly mature response. We were told, we were taught not to say it, though. Yeah, you we know. think ignorance is the worst thing in the world. That yeah. not knowing something is somehow compromising. It's that John Mulaney bit where he's like, "I'm, I'm very frustrated. I don't have any money. <laughs> sure, you can understand <laughs> the situation I'm in right now." Yeah, yeah. I empathize with that. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, so it's when I first started the show, I was, I was like, I'm apolitical. I don't have any opinions or views in any way, but that's very hard to do. That that doesn't last forever. No, it doesn't. And if you, uh, if, you know, comment on whatever platform you're listening on, um, if you've been listening for at least two episodes, you can hear me decide not to do that. Um, there's just a couple of times where I'm like, uh, hold on, no, or I agree, and we just go into this weird discourse mm. on some uh, political issue. But, do, you, um, do you do you catch yourself doing that, or if if you're catching yourself live and, and kind of redirecting the conversation, that's one thing. But have you gotten too far into something political and then decided to to trim those parts, or if you if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, sort of thing? Uh, if I'm in for a penny, I'm in for a pound. The only thing I've cut out of conversation has been if the guest has asked me to cut it out. Okay. Um, I can give examples because that would be you know disrespectful to the idea of cutting it out yeah it would, it would totally undercut uh, ironically undercut the idea yeah but I um, if i say it this show is an extension of myself everything i make is an extension of myself so yeah, inevitably yeah um in the same way that you can find posts from i don't know my tumblr blog at 16 of me talking about how technocracy is the way to run the world you're going to be able to find my political discourse idea now that's fine yeah. Um, but well, I also, and nobody's under the illu- in, under the illusion that you don't have any opinions. Yeah. Um, and if what you're creating is an extension of yourself, then like, of course, those opinions, either consciously or subconsciously, are going to make their way in. As far as the topics that even that you choose to cover, if you're not speaking to directly. Uh, so, yeah, I don't. I think, I, I think, don't put so much pressure on yourself for that. I think, if you have an opinion, uh, be prepared to defend it or revise it if you get more information. Yeah, but, but also, I think having an opinion and and expressing it isn't bad. Having an opinion, expressing it, being wrong, and uh, offering like a, a concession or a, a retraction for that opinion or ex- an explanation that you've learned more since you expressed that, I think is one of the coolest things that you can do in a public space. I agree, and this this sounds a little this this probably sounds bad, but also like if someone got mad enough to write about it, and then that got traction and that came back to me. I'd kind of be like, ah, we did it. We got more listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're like, yes, yes, keep toying with the algorithms. More comments gives me more power. Pretty much. Um, When I first started the show, and I I don't know how to, I'm I'm learning how to market as I go, which is how it is for everyone, because marketing is guessing, is what I'm learning. Pretty pretty much. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. You just do as much, a bunch of stuff, and you hope some of it works. Yeah, I was reading about outrage marketing, and I was like, can you do that with a podcast? Can I intentionally do something that would just make people mad and then blow it up? But you can't. You can't do it and, and be and keep your integrity. So uh, no, 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 no. And I think I think that's the first thing that people let go of if that's kind of their their tactic. I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist in in very many ways. I mean, like obvi- obviously, 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 I've seen him kill himself. But yes. Aside from that. I've worked in marketing and I feel I, I can see the fingerprints just from the experience of having put fingerprints on things before uh, that when something appears organic or kind of naturally viral, 
if you look really closely, you can see what strings are being pulled. And it, it always ends up being more deliberate, more intentional and calculated than it appears at first glance. So something like outrage, outrage marketing is like kind of a marketing strategy. Yeah, man. Um, fabricated. The famous one is the Grand Theft Auto games. They hired a, oh, yeah. a guy to bring in, a, a guy for marketing, and he built the committee that then tried to sue Rockstar Games for making Grand Theft Auto. It's all inside, yeah, man. Which, from a marketing perspective, is brilliant. And I don't, like, I, I think marketing and honesty tend to be at, like, a 90-degree angle to one another, where yeah. it's very difficult to hit the point where they agree with each other. Uh so the person who upholds honesty in my mind goes like, okay, that was that was a dirty play. The person who appreciates successful marketing in my mind goes like, damn, dude, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so are you community-focused when it comes to growing your show, or do you kind of look at it like marketing? Like, is it is it clicks first, or is it listeners who are actually going to gain something from uh, what you put out? Absolutely the latter. Um, other, other platforms that I've watched grow at times faster than ours. Um, and, and having been reached out to by services who say like, Hey, we've worked with so-and-so platform and we got them, you know, uh, uh, 5,000 perceived subscribers overnight. Um, and we can work with you for this amount of money. I, I understand the purpose, like the purpose of getting those 5,000 subscribers isn't to have 5,000 more subscribers on its own. It's to create the perception that your thing is bigger than it actually is, which as an end game, more or less fine. Uh, but that's just not something that I see as personally worthwhile, even if it furthers the objective that we do have of growing the show. Uh, it's, it's through a means that I don't consider sound. Yeah, so I agree. I would rather have one listener who sees and hears what we're doing and appreciates it enough to share um, or invite their friends that they feel like would care about what we're doing than like have 10,000 people subscribe overnight who wouldn't end up caring at all. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I personally, I look at people's engagement, especially on sites like Twitter, when they're like, mm -hmm. I just hit 25,000 followers. And it's like, yes, but you're following 28,000 people. So that doesn't, the numbers don't make sense to me, you know? I, and this may be another age cynical thing, but I just don't have the energy to care about <laughs> how many Instagram followers we have. Yeah. If I guessed at how many we have, I might be off by like a thousand. Uh, but it's, it's the type of thing where it's like, okay, I use it as a platform where I know that the people that I'm reaching via Instagram ideally are the people who care about what we're doing. And at that point, it doesn't really matter how many of them there are. Yeah, uh, for me, my social medias are a way one to keep. You know, if if they're gonna follow, if you're gonna follow your social media, hey, this is just a way to remember that I exist in between Thursdays when I come out. But also, like I like um, if you if you look if you were to look me up before you came on, you'd see that I had a Twitter. So it's like, oh, this mm -hmm. this this person that I'm going to talk to is active in what they're doing, so they're not just gonna. Like, um, like I was invited on a podcast once and it, and it never came out, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, that's ha happened plenty of it's, times. That's just the nature of personal projects. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really weird too. Um, I, um, was in a house 
a friend of mine brought me to a house full of a bunch of people who were big on TikTok. And this guy came up to me and mm-hmm. he was like, hey, your friend said you were a podcast guy. Help me set up mine. I want to interview these people. And I was like, awesome. So we set it up and he's, he's asking questions. And he was like, do you have a question? So I got to ask a question. It's on my Mac um, and it's not on the internet anywhere. It's on that guy's computer too. And it, it's, yeah. it's interesting because whether or not we admit it right now, we are performing in a small bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think that's mutually exclusive with being authentic, but I understand. Yeah, and so it's it's cool to have this idea of, um, not that I'm saying people are inauthentic, but everyone in the everyone in the mm-hmm. house at the, at the time was playing a role that didn't have to be played, and so it's cool to have this little bubble of what we were what we were operating under when it doesn't do anything. I think it's neat. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny too. Like. As much as possible, I want to abide by the philosophy of, like, a little bit what I was alluding to earlier is, like, if this matters to one person, then I'm happy. Um, And in kind of the same way, you know, that podcast episode you did for uh, a TikTok guy, which, oh, I'm sure he's hurting for it. Yeah. what if that episode was just for you guys? Who's to say that's like, successful or, or or a failure if if you guys just like enjoyed making yeah. it? Yeah, um, that's the idea with this that I've adopted. Originally, I wanted like to do it, get a million subscribers, do my toothpaste. Did not toothpaste the me undies ad that every podcaster does, and then dip <laughs> and then dip out. It'd be done. But uh, that's not how it works. I found out. So now it's like, how much fun can I have with it? In the, yeah. in the long run that's the plan yeah. yeah well and that's that's the thing that you can't fake that's the thing that you can't uh, uh, quantify yeah is if you hit a million subscribers and you do a MeUndies ad where you either uh, truthfully or facetiously talk about wearing underwear <laughs> yeah. uh, then like yeah that's a metric for success but if that's your only metric for success then like the entire way there you were just like feeling after one thing and then it happens and it's a moment it's ephemeral and if you said that's your success condition you're done yeah but if your success condition is to enjoy what you're doing and get better at it then you're successful every day yeah i agree i i also like setting attainable goals throughout a -hmm. year um because then when you achieve those you feel like you're doing something um other than going after a number like if I said I want yeah. a thousand listeners a week by the end of the year, there's a good chance I won't hit that. So when that when that comes, when I'm when it's next September, when it's this September, and, I've, and I'm on my year mark, I won't hate mm-hmm. myself because the other goals I've hit will make up for that, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that kind of goes back to the idea of of having control over something being healthy mentally, where you know in the same way that this is your podcast is a, a stabilizing element for you in a time of chaos right now. If your goals are things that ultimately come down to you deciding to pursue it to a certain degree, then you also get to reap 100% of the benefits. Yeah. I, you're familiar with like imposter syndrome? Yes. Have you heard of that? I'm not good yeah. enough to have imposter syndrome, so. <laughs> <laughs> you got to earn it. Yeah, you got to get there. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of the same presence that I've had in almost everything that I've done, at least in my adult life, where like, you know, I, I, graduated with honors from from my university and as i'm walking across the stage i remember thinking like i'm so happy i got to walk before whoever gave me that honor realized their mistake you know it's not that i worked hard and i earned this similarly it's like man i'm so happy that the people who listen to a fistful of vinyl uh haven't i I don't know like grown tired of me yet because they will at some point um and it's it's just this like 
this really negative, uh, persistent voice that exists somewhere in the back of my head that just tries to undercut everything. So with something like, you know, we're almost at 10 million views, um, that voice is going like, yeah, well, that wasn't you, that was an algorithm. And I said, well, fuck you, I did a lot of work. And I, I know it wasn't all up to me, but as much as possible, and I, I guess I'm more speaking from like a, a personal success condition, that's why I try to focus on the things that like I have control over. It's my, I'd be, I feel much more successful with, you know, I sat down all weekend and I edited, you know, a full session or, or three videos and I'm, I'm well prepared for the next few weeks of releases. That to me is so much more fulfilling than this one video that we released somehow, uh, got like the right algorithmic traction and, instead of getting like 5,000 views in a day, got like 25,000 views yeah. a day, which has happened a couple of times and is too random for me to replicate. So it doesn't make sense for me to take credit for that. Yeah, but at the same time, that wouldn't have happened if you wouldn't have released it to begin with. True, which is why the, the creation of it is the success condition. Yeah. I don't have, once it's out there, it's out there. Yeah. And I can do my best with positioning it correctly, but like, I don't know, you're, you're floating a boat down a river and just hoping it makes it I agree. Um, I have a. Uh, You're also not on the boat in that metaphor. I don't know if that's right. <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? Oh, my uh, my best friend Barbara. She is she's my uh, imposter syndrome cure at times. I um, uh, best friends are good for that. Yes, I did an interview with uh, Marco from Mustard Service. He's their lead singer, and I was super nervous. So I said like mm-hmm. every every like four words, like I'm doing now, mm-hmm. and. It sucks when you start thinking about it and you just get all tripped up. Yeah. Um, and so I called her afterwards and I was, I told her, I was like, oh no, I keep saying like. And she was like, nobody cares. You you hear it because you're listening to how you're speaking. We're just listening to the conversation. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. And that's like, that's the full conversation. Um, yeah. But it, it is kind of relieving to hear that I'm not the only one who will receive something and then immediately try to give it back. I, uh, I, w- yeah. I was buying my stoles at graduation at full sale and the, the dude giving them to me was checking to see if I'd earned them and I asked him, I was like, make sure you check because I don't know if I if these are actually mine and he was like, dude, the, what do you mean? <laughs> He's like, you've already given me money I just want to make sure these are the right ones and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, never mind <laughs> His prerogative isn't to check to see if you've earned it or not, yeah, I guess he, or, My name's on a spreadsheet or at least yeah. he doesn't care, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's interesting where it's, there's almost a certain, like, tempting idea of relief to being able to distance yourself from an accomplishment, uh, where I like, and I, I think it, I think it comes from the idea of prioritizing being humble or modest almost to a fault where it's, you know, I, I also feel like, and you know, I've been professionally, like I've been a manager before and I, I really adhere to the, uh, the idea of, um, like internalized criticism and externalized praise, um, where, you know, if I'm a manager, then anything that goes wrong is something that ultimately passed through me. But if things go right, it's because everybody did something right. Uh, and it makes so much more sense to me, like cognitively speaking, to want to uplift other people. Um, and then we're also phenomenally talented at being our own critics. We criticize ourselves 
less fairly and more harshly than anybody else wants to or would care to or is even capable of, barring maybe that guy who wrote 10 political paragraphs on YouTube. Uh, but that's – and that's what I was saying like best friends are really, really good. We're like – I was – you know, I'm applying for jobs right now. I got laid off in the whole thing. Um, and I was talking to a friend of mine last night about this feeling of imposter syndrome where I'm like hesitant to apply for a job that I won because I feel like I'm going to find out I'm not qualified for it. And that the thing that I believed, like yeah, the confidence that I had in myself was somehow uh, delusional. Um, and she was like, you are, and she just spoke really highly of me in a way that like, you know, it didn't, it didn't feel like she was just pandering or anything like that. It, it was like, it, it's all stuff that like logically I know is true. Like I know I was really good at my job before I was laid off and I know my layoff didn't have anything to do with my performance. I also know that like, I work really, really obsessively hard at being a good person and that make and making other people uh, understand that they're important to me. And, uh, you know, I take a lot of pride in having uh, responsibility for something and having that thing go well, which are ideally are all things that would make me hireable. So then like, you think it would be easy to just believe that I'm qualified for a job. Um, but we have this instinct to just kind of hedge our own abilities as if calling them out before somebody else calls them out is an advantage. Yeah, I um at the time of recording, I've applied to and I'm in like the third stage of interviews for an online teaching job for English for kids, like five and six year olds. All I have to do awesome. is record an online video of me teaching a mock lesson so that they can look at it and see whether or not I'm good at doing it. I haven't done it. Fantastic. Let's let's bang it out. Yeah, right let's now. do it. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll sit crisscross applesauce on the rug and you can you can tell me how Horton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I haven't done it because there's this part of me that is one, obviously this job is fake because if they're coming to you if they're coming to me for it it's, it's a, scam. a scam. It's a scam because it's online. Yeah, of course, of course, it's a scam. Because why would they come to, to to me with the job that I would? Yeah, want? yeah. I'm not a college grad with a with an English degree. I, I am. Uh, I'm a dude on the internet who got tricked. Uh, so, yeah. how do you deal with it? Like, do you have a a way around it, or are you still in it? This idea. It's something. It's something I deal with every day. Uh, and I think kind of tied in with this, and maybe the first lesson in overcoming with it is accepting praise. Um which was super difficult for me for a long time. You know, somebody would go like, Hey, like, I love that session you recorded or, um, or I love that interview you did. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, like, that's cool. I like, I'm glad you liked it. I wish we'd used better cameras or, Oh man, you're like, yeah, I wish I'd, I wish I'd like studied harder for the questions or, or, you know, been more confident in my tone or something like that. It goes back to that idea of like hedging or undercutting because of this sort of inflated idea of modesty that we have. And it took somebody else explaining to me, just like, dude, just say thank you. Yo, I like that interview you did. Oh, hey, thanks, man. That means a lot to me. Is the most, it's an honest response. And it's, it's me also training myself to, one, respect other people's opinions uh, that are, are theirs. Uh, and two, to, you know, work myself out of the habit of, of you know, hovering my thumb over the self-destruct button every time I, I have hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you're right. Um, especially when you see people like uh, Neil Gaiman talk about like mm -hmm. their works and someone would be like, you know, they say Sandman is one of the best literary works in the, in the past 50 years. And he's like, yeah, thank you. He doesn't say, well, here's what I don't like about it. Even though exactly. statistically it's been long enough since he's written it that he might hate Sandman by now. Uh, yeah. 
that happens a lot with musicians too where they're like I'm not playing that album anymore that's it's either it's not me or I hate it um, so to see people be able to just be like yeah thanks cool is very interesting to me yeah. it's very uh, it's like I'm gonna, I'm gonna copy that <laughs> yeah you know tying this tying this back to uh, you know what I do there's been a handful of times where I've been working with an artist and I always try to establish like relevance right uh, if an artist is coming on I would love them to perform the song that introduced me to them or the first song of theirs that we played on air in a studio sense uh, but there have been a handful of times where we've had an artist come on uh, and I've talked to them about a song uh, sometimes it ends up being one of their better known ones sometimes it just ends up being an old one but there's this sort of degree of reluctance for them to play it a um, couple examples that come to mind we've got an older one that's uh, the band Titus Andronicus out of New Jersey performing a song called A More Perfect Union and it's this like seven minute long multiple movement uh, like rock song that just it's it's punky it's upbeat it rips that's like you know several different uh, keys and time signatures throughout uh, and to top it all off it's got just an awesome Springsteen reference in there um, <laughs> but I uh, I asked them if they would play it and the, the lead singer uh, Pat Stickles tells me you know like that's that's a hard song for us to want to play because whenever we perform live like in a bar or something we'll see everyone just kind of standing around and having conversations uh, but then when that song comes on that's the one that they jump around and move to and and I want us to be known for more than that totally respectable totally understandable idea and it, on top of that just like a very conscientious response uh, and my reply was like I'll 100% leave it up to you this is your performance um, I'll tell you why I asked you to play it and that's that um, I uh, I was at FYF one year. It's a music fest we have here in Los Angeles, and I'd never heard of them before. Um, and I had a buddy who I was there with, is my old co-host John. Uh, we were watching the band War Paint, and he had a heat stroke, like collapsed. Um, and he also has a heart condition, so it was it was this major panic moment where it's like, does he need water or does he need to go to a hospital? Yeah. So I went into like freaking Eagle Scout mode. Where I just like I, I I threw him over my shoulder and went running across the fairgrounds uh, to the medical tent. And fortunately, like he just needed like some some water, some sugar, and the, you know a few minutes to lie down. And as soon as we walked out of the tent and he was feeling a lot better, um, Titus Andronicus was playing on the stage that was closest to him. Uh, and I, I don't I think he was like a little bit familiar with them. I barely knew who they were at all. But we stopped and listened, and it was just like this kind of cool, powerful uh, moment where we felt like we'd overcome something and this somehow, this song, this A More Perfect Union somehow became like the theme song to us, like feeling the relief following a crisis um, with like a subtle acknowledgement that like, it's not like it solved every problem. It's not like John doesn't still have a heart condition, right. um, but it, uh, it, it kind of set the tone for it perfectly and became a song that was really important to our friendship and by extension, a really important song to the show. And telling Pat about that, he just kind of, he just kind of nodded and I didn't think he changed his mind, uh, but we recorded uh, and they did three songs off of their newest album at the time. Uh, and then they closed with that. And God, the feeling of elation of just holding the camera and hearing the opening notes, or even just the, like the opening kind of guitar hum of the song and, and hearing them tear into it was, 
just such like an amazing like I'm, I'm getting like almost goosebumps now talking about it it was such a cool right. moment um and another one that's coming up uh maybe it'll be released by the time you guys are listening to this but we recorded frank turner recently right. and frank turner's one of my favorite artists and he's been somebody i've been trying to record for a long long time i was fortunate to be able to interview him in 2018 uh and then last year or a few months ago at least in late 2019 we were able to capture a musical performance by him and during our interview the year earlier he had talked about the sort of vacillations and interpretations that he has of a song that he does called love iron song uh and it's the title of one of if not his first record one of his earliest records and kind of the first one that got him more well known uh within certain spheres um and is a song that a lot of people identify with. And the way he talked about it was that he wrote the song somewhat facetiously. Like the song is about kind of clinging on to youthful, idealistic hope uh, and, and, you know, in the face of not just adversity, but maybe better judgment, uh, sticking to a form of optimism uh, and a form of resilience. And when he wrote it, he wrote it sarcastically. Like, he wrote it as a way of kind of teasing his younger self for believing those things. Um, and over time, he realized that while he wrote it facetiously, other people's interpretation of the song was genuine, was at, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, surface level. Uh, it's not to say that they didn't interpret it deeply, but they just interpreted it sincerely. Um, and it made him look at the song again and interpret it differently. And he told me, you know, like, some days I'll feel it's sarcastic, some days I'll feel it's genuine. So when we finally got him back uh, for a musical performance, I reminded him of that part of our interview and asked if he'd do it. He also doesn't play that song right. live. Um, and he, uh, he kind of acknowledged the significance of it and was totally down to play it with that context in mind. Nice. And even afterwards spoke to, like, you know, I, I think I actually believe that song today. It was a really cool moment, which hopefully if you if it's not already on youtube.com slash a fistful of vinyl or a fistful vinyl.com, <laughs> it will be soon. Right. Links below, of course. Um, Perfect. I, I love doing that as well. Finding interconnectedness, interconnectedness between kind of creating a theme because, you know, if someone's watching the show or listening to your show for you, they want to have those experiences with you as well. Yeah, you definitely. Yeah. So that's good. We're coming up on an hour. Do you do you okay. want to do another part? Yeah. Uh, can I hit the restroom and refresh? I was going to do the same thing. Uh, do you want to tag your social medias really quickly uh, for this part? For this part one. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, thanks everyone for listening to part one. Stick around for part two. It's twice as interesting. I also <laughs> reveal some deep dark secrets about a fistful of vinyl. You won't believe number seven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter, we're at a fistful of vinyl. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash a fistful of vinyl. And uh, go check out our beautiful website that my cousin producer roommate created, uh, a fistful of vinyl.com. Oh, also, if you're in LA or hell anywhere, uh, if I'm allowed back in the radio station by this point, as in social restrictions have been lifted, you can listen to a fistful of vinyl Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Pacific on KXLU 88.9 FM in Los Angeles and KXLU.com. Awesome. Uh, follow the show wherever you're listening to give us a like because I like the attention and follow me on Twitter at jwfreeman underscore and at the little guys three also on Twitter and we're good that's right give them give five stars and, and hashtag a little guy full of vinyl sure <laughs> <laughs>
I, I hope they could hear me thinking about that as like, oh no, oh no, I started to set. I don't know where I'm going to, to go. It. <laughs> All right, <laughs> a fistful of little guys. I, I, uh, I don't know if that's worse. <laughs>